Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to NextPod, your weekly look at North American soccer prospects. MLS Next Pro, Campiel, and beyond. These are your hosts, Dwayne Rollins and James Grossi. And hello and welcome all to NextPod. I'm Dwayne Rollins. James Grossi joins me on the line where we talk about prospects in north american soccer james how you doing today Dwayne, i'm i'm doing well man it's a a nice quiet monday after a very hectic weekend of soccer and a little bit of turkey so uh so i'm looking forward to to chatting with you a bit here today yeah we, we might be a little bit late in your ears because it was easter this weekend we normally record this on either wednesday or thursdays during the week but uh, just because of my travel and and uh my work because i i produce um I work for a storage company, which doesn't sound that exciting, but we're a national brand and we have to put a newsletter out for all of our like 2000 employees and all that. And you know who writes that? The writer. You know what I do for a living, James? I'm a writer. I write it. So I had a lot of work to do last week. So I was able to to not do as much soccer stuff as I wanted, but uh, but I'm happy to be back and back from Easter. And uh, I'm going to see my parents next weekend to celebrate with them. But I was down with my partner's uh, father this weekend. We had a nice time down in the Niagara region and... Uh, we're back in Toronto now, and we're we're getting ready to to have a, a fun day, a fun week of watching soccer and talking about soccer. So um, let's let's talk about that now. Uh, before we get going, though, James, I did want to make a quick update. Uh, Jaquil Marshall Ruddy did not play this weekend. Um, I know that our listeners tune in to uh, to follow Jaquil's uh, career, so uh, I wanted to get that note real quick. Noted. No, noted. And we will be sure to let you know when the young man plays again for Toronto FC and hopefully gets sold to Arsenal for $20 million because that's what's going to happen. Not $20 million. Pounds. Uh, let's start with a couple little news hits. Uh, TSS Rovers, they're an interesting team. And uh, they started up a few years ago and they're, they're fan owned. They, they sell shares and uh, it's an interesting format that's done in a lot of parts of the world. They're the only team in Canada that works that way. Uh, they have been drawn in, they won BC League, uh, well, got the BC League one spot in the Voyager's Cup and are in the main draw of the Voyager's Cup this year. It's a bit of a, a tough undertaking for a small club to participate in that tournament, but they are hosting a game. Uh, this is a big deal for them. They're asking fans if they're not in the area or not even necessarily fans, but supporters of soccer in this country, if they're not in the area to, uh, 
to help them out a little bit to make sure that that game is a sellout because it is it costs a lot of money to host these games. People don't realize it, especially people when they make these elaborate tournaments in their their mind that you know local teams that have no revenue sources are suddenly just going to be able to snap their fingers and be part of this. So anyway, TSS Rovers are asking uh, fans to buy tickets, and those tickets would then be donated to uh, local kids that can't afford them otherwise to go to the game. James, uh, we wanted to mention this quick off the top. I'll let you speak about TSS Rovers, your thought on them, and, and your thought on this initiative. Oh, the the ticket initiative is great. I think uh, I think we were all a little bit surprised when we saw the uh, the details that came out on on Twitter about a week ago now, just of of the fact that the home team has to pay for the travel costs of, of the visiting team. I, I uh, was taken a bit aback by that. I think, you know, we all know that there are costs associated with, with hosting these tournaments, as you said. And, and the fact that for a lower division team to potentially have to pay for, let's, let's take Toronto FC as an example for them to have to pay for them to travel across the country and stay there for the game struck me as as bizarre you know i did a little bit of digging into it and apparently that is pretty standard across the world you know i was looking at the the fa challenge cup rules just because it was the first uh the first example that came up and you know there's there's some parameters in there to to, to help limit what the travel costs can potentially be and they're they're supposed to be subtracted out of the gate revenues for that day before either side gets a share of those gates and so um you know, somebody somebody pointed to a Twitter thread that uh, that said that in in France it's pretty customary for the bigger clubs to to waive their share of, of the proceeds of any gate to sort of you know leave a little bit you know put a little bit back into the game at the lower divisions. Um, I don't know if Valor is is in a position to do that when it comes to the Canadian Championship this year. And you know, it's worth noting that you know, the Canadian Soccer Association put out a call for teams who were interested in hosting. And, and I assume that the unspoken part of that call was, you know, you are going to be responsible for covering these costs by hosting a match. And so TSS signed up to be the hosting club. They knew that they were getting into, but you would sort of hope that as we're trying to grow the game here and and make this a bigger tournament, that there'd be some kind of assistance uh, to help teams make it like, the the imagery of of a smaller club welcoming a bigger team into their into their little stadium and the sort of magic of those memories and those images are are something that we associate with the game and and you know granted the Canadian Soccer Association is having their financial troubles at the moment so maybe they're maybe they're not in a position to help those clubs but we if we want those magic of the cup moments in this competition of ours. Uh, it can't be. It can't come with the risk of a club getting strangled by the financial duties. So you know, whatever people can do in terms of, you know, buying a ticket and, and helping the Rovers sort of bring some local fans out to the game, uh, I'm all for it. Yeah. Look, I didn't mean to flip in earlier when when I said that people want to snap their fingers, but it is true that a lot of these costs the fans, the typical fan, doesn't understand. Um, and I'm not. You know, you're you're right to point out that it does seem a little bit uh, wrong that the professional club is is having their costs covered by the semi-pro club, or you know, at least very low-level pro club. If they they may play all their players, I'm not entire, entirely sure if they do or not. But they're certainly not anywhere close to to Valor, let alone an MLS team. So, so it does seem a little bit out there. Um, I know in Ontario, real quick before we move on, um, that's why 
I asked years ago, I asked, you know, Rossi, the commissioner of, of League One Canada, uh, at that time, the commissioner of League One Ontario, why they weren't doing a push for more of their teams to be involved in the Voyagers Cup. And he was quite blunt in his assessment. It was it was exactly this. They, they couldn't afford it. And then he sort of outlined some of the costs for me and, and helped me out to understand why it was that for them, what made sense was for them to sort of pool their resources and host uh, games at the Ontario Soccer Center, which is what the League One Ontario teams do when they participate in the in the Voyagers Cup Canadian Championship, is that they collectively cover those costs as a league. And and you would hope maybe that they might be some things, some some ways to do that uh, moving forward, so we can get more teams involved. Um, but that's kind of your short answer of why this isn't like every team in the country can go in like the FA Cup in England because of its cost. It, it, they can't afford it. I mean, until we start getting gates of five, six thousand people regularly at games like that, you know, which isn't even happening at the CampL, let alone a level below, uh, it's kind of far fetched to to think that we're going to to change much in that regards. But uh, yeah, it, go. We'll uh, I'll put a note in the um, the show notes. We'll we'll make sure we get the link there if you want to support the TSS Rovers in this initiative by purchasing some tickets to ensure that they do get a sellout, and then they'll make sure that those tickets go. Uh, to um, some good hands to, to kids in the area that they can't afford it otherwise. Uh, I, I spoke to to someone associated with the clubs. The the average ticket cost is uh, it's well the cost the ticket cost is thirty five dollars each for a ticket for an adult. It's twenty five for a youth. So you can use that to gauge what kind of donation you want to give them. There is a donation page, and again, I'll, I'll put the link of that in the show notes uh, so you can find it there. All right. The uh, the other uh, news note I wanted to talk about a little bit here. It, this one, I don't know if it caught me off guard because I knew they worked with them closely, but everyone sort of associates Forge already with a, with a, another team and that being Sigma. Uh, but apparently they're going to have an actual team affiliated with them in Hamilton United, uh, Hamilton United in, in League One and, and Forge, of course, Canadian Premier League champions three of the last four years. So this is a... I think a, a good story in the sense that they're they're formalizing more of their pyramid and sort of professionalizing the Canadian Premier League level even more. Uh, it also is sort of a rich get richer situation when you're talking about Forge. As I said, they are the three time champion, three or four years champion. Um, but you know, when you look at the teams that have been successful in Canadian Premier League, they tend to be the teams that have the most connections to to the, the community. Um, Pacific doesn't have a a team directly attached to them. They have the champion in this league, but you know, they did rely pretty heavily on the Whitecaps residence program, kind of getting those players through. Uh, we'll see whether they can continue that success now that there's a team in Vancouver that is sort of challenging them for those, for those players, but uh, forge with the even more roots in that community. It's gotta be a good thing, right? Yeah. This was um, when this came out, you know, through the inbox last week, I was, I was wondering who the first team to really make a step like this was going to be in. And it's a pretty big step. You know, Forge already had their affiliation with Sigma through Bobby, as as you mentioned. Um, but to really bring the city, to bring their footprint in the city down into the, the youth scene below is uh, is pretty massive. And I, I kind of really like the idea that each CPL club becomes the pinnacle of the youth development period in, in each of their respective areas. That's something that is going to make that pathway of, of starting out as a six-year-old and finding yourself uh, a professional for your local team that much more clear and that much more visible for players. I, I was lucky enough to sit down for a chat with a, a pair of guys who, who signed with, this is a bit of an aside from me, with a pair of guys um, who signed for TFC2, uh, Kungai Muwoko and, and Adisa Di Rosario last week. And 
one of the things that we sort of talked about was for young players, that ability to see it makes being it that much more possible. And so, so for Forge to, to establish this and be the first club or, or one of the first clubs to really make some moves in their local youth scene is, is fascinating for me. I, I did a little bit of digging on all the team's websites and this might be a little bit out of date because we all know websites aren't, aren't always uh, perfectly up to snuff. And, you know, Cavalry's got their foothill links and they do some ID camps with the local kids and field a, a U15 and a U17 team. Ottawa does some camps. Uh, Pacific apparently have some sort of affiliation with Van Isle Wave and, and these things called Trident Development Programs, which are sort of local camps. And uh, we'll dig into all that a little bit more. Valor does some camps. York has a digital academy. Halifax has been doing some interesting work. They had a, an exhibition series last summer and some evaluation camps earlier this year that were, you know, invite only U23 type situations. Um, and they're they're aiming to have another exhibition series with U23s uh, this summer. And they're they're sending a team to the U18 uh, Dalhousie University Youth Cup. Uh, there's occasional open, tri- open trials that all these teams have to sort of keep an eye on, on sort of that top tier, top age group talent in their local area. But but for me, this this step of Forge, you know, solidifying it and professionalizing it and and, and uh, you know pulling from the press release, the the takeaway for me was you know technical leadership and guidance to the coaching staff, which means that the professional ideas and, and way of going about things that, that Bobby and his staff bring to the game is going to get passed on to, to the top tier there, to the coaching staffs there. And, and they're also including season passes for the youth team players, which, uh, which I think is pretty neat. And that it also promises at the, at the end of the press release that uh, further announcements expanding into the greater Hamilton area should be expected. So, for me, it's all about strengthening those ties and creating more ways for talent to be found. And so for Forge to take this step is uh, is uh, great to see. Yeah, look, Forge is an opportunity until we see uh, more teams in sort of southwestern Ontario and the CanPL level, uh, Kitchen, London, those type of areas that they, to me, are natural sort of efforts to get into, to reach those branches out even further to try and compete with TFC to get to get talent. You know, the, the sale that, Forge has or any KMPL team has to the MLS academies is that your pathway to first team football might be a little bit quicker, uh, particularly in the KMPL, which does have some rules, which, which require younger players to play. Uh, you know, it's funny when you're, when you're having this conversation, I'm catching up on my MLS games that I didn't get a chance to see in the today. Uh, Mondays is the day I do that. So I have the Montreal game in the background. We, we know that, that things are not going very well back there. And I think to myself, Hamilton here as a CAMPL team is increasing its reach and is creating more programs and doing more things, whereas Montreal still doesn't even have a, a next pro team. Um, you know, which one of those is the right direction, I think. You know, right now, would you take Forge over Montreal in a game? I might. So, so you just, I don't know, just just an aside. Uh, quick, speaking of besides, quickly, um, some of our listeners might not be familiar uh, with this, you did make a, an interesting mention of a name that you spoke to for TFC two there. Uh, what was that last name? D D row row. What what was that one? Is that anything that uh, TFC fans would be familiar with? Is there a D row coming back to uh, to Toronto? Yeah, D Rosario. I actually spoke to Dwayne as well for a piece that'll be coming out uh, in the next day or two, um, just about some of the developments of the, the D row TFC Academy, which is based out in Durham region, and it's one of the TFC affiliates, which. You know, is also a program that sort of gets announced, and and none of us media really pay attention to it. So hopefully, we'll get a bit of a look inside on uh, on a bunch of those things. But yeah, Adisa is the 
the third of the Di Rosario clan to go uh, to go professional after his brother Asaze with York United and and uh, Kundai Mowoko, who was the other player that I spoke to, he's the first graduate of the Dero TFC Academy to to sign a professional contract with the club, signing for TFC two. So uh, it's a uh, there's a lot of things happening behind the scenes, and, and there's only there's only so much visibility that we have into a lot of it, and that's one of the things that hopefully uh, you and I can dig into as we go forward here. Yeah, exactly. I dream of, uh, just to tie our first two topics together, I dream of a day that the D-Row Academy plays TFC, D-Row versus TFC. That would be fun. If you, those of us that were around in the early days of Toronto FC proper know that knew that D-Row played TFC several times and it was never really particularly pretty for TFC when D-Row played TFC back in the day. Uh, oh, of- yeah, it was, uh, it was a bit of the, um, the Alan Gordon curse with with Dero and TFC. He uh, he loved performing against uh, against his hometown team. That's for sure. And he performed for his hometown team pretty well as well. We should note, uh, he obviously, he was involved in the miracle in Montreal, which was TFC's first great moment in a sea of not so great back then. But nil uh, nil on the weekend. I don't. I actually thought this weekend's game was maybe TFC's best effort of the season, but that's a, a topic for a different uh, different show, James. But uh, I was actually happy with the 0-0 in Nashville, which may say something about how my expectations have slid a bit uh, since those days of 2017. Anyway, um, speaking of slid expectations, I, I was hoping for a, 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 a bit of a deep, deeper run for the TFC Academy uh, kids uh, in the GA Cup, which happened um, over the past week out there in, uh, or down there, I should say, in Florida. Uh, you watched that a little bit as close as we could. Uh, tell the listeners what happened, particularly with the Canadian Slant in the GI Cup, which is a an event which we set up a couple weeks ago, and um, and are going to talk about now. What happened? Yeah, it's it's difficult to to know whether it's disappointing or not. You know, we get we get such limited view into into all these teams and sort of how they're progressing. And you know, I spoke to Terry Dunfield and, and Armin Mohammadi, the the coaches of the two TRC groups going down there, and. You know, Armin with the U15s was was you know pretty explicit that the goal was to get out of the group and to be playing in the in the champion side of the bracket after the group stage. And and you know Terry was a a bit more a bit more reserved in in the knowledge that TFC's U17s had never really gotten out of the group before. But um, you know across the across the path across all three Canadian MLS teams that had representatives down there, you'd have to sort of say the group stage was, was not quite what they were looking forward to. You know, TFC had a, had a pretty heavy loss to Toulouse in their third game, four uh, 0 defeat that had them finishing third in their group, which, which kept them out of the, the champions bracket while both Vancouver and Montreal lost all three of their matches. And the way that, the way that this tournament sort of works is you have that initial group stage and that group stage splits the teams up into two pools. And so if you're sending a team down there, you're guaranteed to get eight or nine games or however many games it is over the 10 day period. Um, but you're not in competition for the trophy that, that we saw handed out yesterday on Sunday. Uh, at the U15 level, all three Canadian teams did better in that it, it's called the showcase side of the bracket, you know, TFC won a pair of games. They built, they beat Atlanta and they beat Chelsea before, before losing to the Galaxy. Vancouver um, won a game against NYCFC and lost to FC Dallas and, and North Jalen. Montreal beat St. Louis, lost in a shootout to Miami and lost to LAFC. So some 
some positive experiences for the guys, but I think not getting out of that group stage and being able to be in the in the real knockout portion of this tournament was a was a bit of a disappointment for at the U fifteen level. And then at the U seventeen level, TFC and Montreal both finished third in their group with a win, a loss, and a draw. Um TFC's won a bunch of their showcase matches since then. Uh Vancouver beat Nashville in a shootout in the IMG Academy before losing to uh, to Austin and Montreal lost to Charlotte, beat the LA Galaxy, fell four three to Man United, which was uh, an interesting result. But it's uh, it's it's difficult to say whether it was a disappointment or not. You sort of have to hope that that every one of these players will have gone down there and had their their horizons broadened by this experience, whether it was just being you know, that sort of focused in the, in the, the, the interesting environment that they have around the GA Cup down there. One of the one of the cooler moments was I was watching one of the semifinals between Columbus and Dallas, the U seventeens, I believe it was, and on the other the other Dallas team, the U fifteens were hanging out behind the net, sort of giving crew players an earful as they were trying to take their penalties. And that's uh that's sort of the the interesting thing about these tournaments is it's a real chance for these players to, you know, focus, focus away from their families and, and with their teammates and really sort of focus on the game and, and seeing what, what's possible for them. I was impressed, generally speaking, with the, the quality of the play from, from what I saw. I, I didn't get to watch quite as much of it as I would have liked to, but that's always sort of the case. Uh, tactically, everybody seemed pretty astute, well-organized. Uh, I think there's still a gap there in general between uh between the MLS teams and some of the international academies. I think, you know, I looked at in each in each group there's forty teams in each age group and eleven of them are the international teams and the twenty nine MLS clubs are all represented. And for the sixteen teams that emerged from the group stage at both age groups, six of them were the international teams and ten of them were the MLS side. So, you know, proportionally speaking, a, a good number of the international sides seem to do particularly well in those group stages and move on to the knockout round. But you know, at the end, we see we see four MLS teams in the in the two finals with uh, with Philadelphia having a team in in both the U15s and the U17 levels. Uh, they picked up the win at the U17 levels, beating FC Dallas in a uh, beating FC Dallas one 0 on a penalty kick goal in the first half, and and they lost the shootout to Austin in uh, at the U15 level. So. Uh, of course, uh, you know, the rich get richer when it comes to Philadelphia and their youth development. It's good to see Dallas still producing. Uh, it was interesting to me that that Austin was there, a team that's still pretty young in their history to have a, a group of players do quite so well. So a uh, fascinating tournament. I wish we got to see a little bit more of it, but uh, the production quality was, was pretty good. Yeah, you, you mentioned Philadelphia. That's the takeaway to me, if you want to look at this on a wider level for a second, putting the Canadian teams aside. Um you know, you ebb and flow in youth events, generally speaking. You know, you'll have generations that are better than others. That's how most teams work. But when you're able to consistently go to finish to the top of these events, like Philadelphia has been for the last little while, Dallas has been for much even longer than that, then that says you're doing something right. Now, it helps to be in a talent-rich area. Both of those clubs are. Philadelphia is, you know, just a hop, skip, and a jump from, from the New York City area and, and has its own, obviously, metropolitan uh, catchment as well that they can draw from so that they're able to, you know, get a lot of kids to look at. That helps. Dallas obviously has 
a, a massive uh, football playing population around them. And, and they have for a long time sort of focused on the idea that that's the way that they can be successful at a first team level. Both those clubs use that to, to varying degrees of success. I think that Philadelphia has proven that you can both produce and be very competitive at MLS. Uh, although they're, they're not, doing as well this year as we expected. They, I think you'll probably see them bounce back in Major League Soccer play. This is just an indication that the pipeline is there that allows them to sell those kids. Uh, if they get interest from Europe, get that money, which you can then invest when you think that you're close to an MLS Cup championship contending team, you can invest it, the allocation that you sell for those kids, right? It's a, it's a great little way to go. Um, James, I'll let you jump back in real quick before we uh, we we move to our next topic. Oh, just on on the Philadelphia note, I wanted to make mention there wasn't another Aronson that I saw, but there was another <laughs> Sullivan, the uh, younger brother of uh, Philadelphia's midfielder, was uh, was playing there. So uh, yeah, some familiar names, and, and of course Philly uh, is doing some work there on the youth development side. They are, and look, it's hard to, you know, I I, I am able to put my partisanship on a, on a plate sometimes here when it comes to TFC. It's hard to, to really cheer for Philadelphia, but I can respect a great deal of what Philadelphia has been doing. Um, they deserve a lot of credit for sticking with the plan. I mean, Jim Curtin for a lot of us outsiders were calling why he was still in his job for a while, but it was all part of the vision to, to get put this program forward. And, and the union are proving to be the model of what I think MLS 4.0, and that's the generation I think we're on. I don't know. You can argue that if you want, but I think we're in MLS 4.0, which uh, I think Philadelphia does better than anyone. And that's the generation where you have to have high-end talent and produce talent on your own, which is not something you really required to be a championship team before. And I think when you want to tie this back into the Canadian teams, uh, I think that's where they fall a little bit short, um, you know, particularly in Vancouver, Montreal, or Vancouver and Toronto, where they have um, – haven't had the results from the kids that you would have liked to see uh, to propel those teams forward. But again, that's more of a topic for an MLS show, which I may do down the line, but I'm not today. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to have a bit of a women's conversation. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. On the, the last week, there was an interesting news story that came across my my attention, and that was uh, Amanda Allen, um, a young woman that uh, excelled at the at the League One level and had accepted a scholarship to Syracuse University. I decided to, to turn that scholarship down and instead sign a contract with the uh, Orlando Pride of the NWSL. Um, you can't blame a kid for wanting to go pro if that pro opportunity 
presents itself. In Amanda's case, obviously Orlando felt she had the, had the talent. She's confident in her abilities, and and we'll see how that works out. Um, it's not an opportunity that often comes to to young Canadian girls, uh, particularly if they haven't gone to university first. So it it was an interesting. An interesting news bit, and I thought it's worth mentioning here, and I thought it could propel us a little bit onto a conversation on the women's side of the game, which we have neglected so far to talk about in the show, but should equally be of concern to those that uh, that want to see the development programs in Canada at top level, James. Oh, definitely, definitely. I, I, I don't think we've neglected it out of out of anything other than than a lack of expertise you know there's there's so much harder to get some insight into what's going on on the women's side of the game uh especially keeping on top of things as as players develop but what's what struck me about this move was well two things the first one sort of you know maybe the bigger element of this and and something that i think we'll we'll be keeping an eye on for the couple of years ahead that that uh a young woman like this could sort of emerge from from the talent pools here in Ontario sort of speaks to, to maybe there is enough talent in this area to be supporting professional teams. And, you know, this goes, this goes to something we've touched on a little bit with the CPL and, and, and the Canadian soccer association and, and the fact that they didn't start up a professional women's league at the same time. And, and Diana Matheson and her project eight pro, um, project eight project sounds like the wrong way to put it, but, Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, the fact that, that a young lady like this can emerge and find herself a pro at 18, which is something that doesn't happen very often on the men's side of the game, let alone on the women's side, just speaks to the amount of talent that's here. And, and that win, win that upper expression, when that professional league is here, I, I think between the internationals that, that Canada already has playing everywhere around the world. And and the up and coming talent, I think there's an, an argument you could make that there's a, a lot more young ladies like this out there that deserve their chance. Uh, so that's one that's one side of it for me is just a, it speaks to the talent pool here. And the other one is uh, just uh, in in reading up a little bit about about Orlando signing an 18 year old. NWSL has been trending younger and younger for signing players. There were a bunch of 18 year olds signed, a couple of 17 year olds, a 16 year old, even a 15 year old signed somewhere. And that trend to, to sign younger players development-wise gets them into the pro environment earlier and earlier. You know, a conversation that we've had a lot around MLS, especially, you know, a couple of years ago when the Super Draft played such a big role in how teams stocked themselves was whether the college route was really the best way to go to develop top-tier talent. You know, there's there's natural limitations there in terms of the amount of time players can spend training and the the length of the seasons and, and the level of the competition and all that sort of thing. And so just for these, uh, for these ladies to get into professional environments at a younger and younger age uh, can only speak well for the future of the professional women's game. Yeah. And look, it's long been an issue that we don't have a pathway in this country for the, these young women to, to move through. Um, that has partially been addressed through the improvements at the League One level. And as we see League One expand across the country, that will get even better. I, I, you know, I talk about League One a lot because I, I used to work for the league um, on a contract level. I used to work for the league as a match day coordinator. So I've watched a lot of League One games. I saw in the early days in particular, I saw how that team, that league grew. And I saw how that league grew on the women's side leaps and bounds. The level of play is quite good. 
And I think if you give it a chance, if you're out there and you're close to a League One Ontario team, League One or League One Canada team, I should say, uh, go out and have a look, particularly on the women's side. You'll really be surprised by the, by the level of talent. And one thing that they've done really well from the get-go, particularly on the women's side, is they have moved players up to the professional level. And that, in turn, is allowing a league like the NWSL to look at a young player, look at their raw talent, and then recognize that what they've done at a league that has already produced X amount of pros can be turned over, can be worked with and made into a professional at the very highest or second highest, depending on your perspective. It's either either England or the U.S. or 1A, 1B when it comes to the best women's league in the world, I think, at this point. Um, that speaks volumes to the work that they've done at the League One level. Now, there needs to be another jump, though, right? We need professionalization across the board here. I get that the KMPL is a fledgling league on its own, and they want to make sure that they are stable before they're adding more. And I think, it, but I do think it was a major mistake to not start with women's programming or plans to get to women's programming. And, and that has led to some of the conflicts that we have seen. We've talked about this on the show before, even though it's slightly off topic, but it, it is something that needs to be addressed. And I, the other part of this that really irritates me and always has is that the three major league soccer teams in this country do nothing, basically next to nothing on the women's side. And I just don't think that's ethically palatable. I, I just don't. And people will throw the business arguments out at me. And I will, what I'll throw back at them is that NWSL expansion teams are going for about 50 million now. You could have had them for about 2 million a few years ago, MLSE or the Whitecaps or whoever, or an independent project. Imagine what that investment would look like now. It would have been as equally successful as. TFC was when it went from 10 million to 200 million, right? In terms of valuation. So I don't buy the, that it's not a good business move. And, and I think that it, it, they're really, we're well past the time where we need to address this. However, there are some good stuff happening there again at the league one level. And there are great players. There is a lot of talent in this country that kind of hits that level. And then they go off to university and they sometimes get blind. They don't get seen by the national team level. They someone doesn't like them for whatever reason and they don't get that chance to prove themselves later on. And maybe they, they eventually are driven out of the game and, and we lose talent that way. You know, if you've been around long enough, like I have, we used to see it all the time in the men's game. Um, it's no different now. So, so we need to really cheer on Amanda. First off, obviously just for our own perspective, we're cheering a young Canadian woman off to, to be a, a successful professional at one of the top women's clubs in the world. But obviously that's something that we should all get behind. Uh, but we also should be keeping that pressure up to get more professionalization and, and you know, Project 8, if that is the way that the, the successful way we go, we get a league out of that, then wonderful. If, if Project 8 merges with other initiatives that are happening, I think that's equally good. It doesn't matter who ends up putting those things forward as long as they happen, James, uh, because right now it is a fault. I said years before, last I'm ranting a bit now, I appreciate it. So I'll let you jump in after this, but... I remember having a conversation with someone about four or five years ago. This is before the men started to win. And I said to them that I thought that the men's program was in was in a healthier position than the women's program. And, and they thought that that was the most absurd thing they'd ever heard because the women were coming off of their second straight bronze medal at that point. But the reason I thought that, and I still think that, is for these very this very thing. There is no pathway on the women's side. There is no plan to get to a pathway on the women's side. So their reliance upon talent that emerged almost independent of a system and world-class talent 
in the sense of a Christine Sinclair for years driving this program forward. Now you have Katisha Buchanan, players, uh, Ashley Lawrence, players like that, that are world-class defenders driving it on in a different way. But they're kind of outliers, right? And they're outliers that develop definitely outside the system through the NCAA. We need our own system. We need to cheer on guys or gals, I should say, like like uh, Amanda here, but not rely on them emerging from nowhere if we want the women's program to continue to be number six in the world or hopefully better and legitimately be competing for World Cups. Um, I can't wrap my head around whether they're actually a contender this summer. I don't think they are. And I think that that's a shame because they should be. And if you have a better development pathway, they could be. Could be consistently every World Cup. Could be just like a Brazil at the Men's World Cup. Just every World Cup, it's a chance. And one of them, you know what? One of them you might hit. And could you imagine living long enough to see Canada win a World Cup? Hey, I lived long enough to see Canada make one of the men's side. So who knows? But we need to fix this, James. Yeah, I mean, I can't agree with you more on on all that. I think if you boil down a lot of what we talk about here, it's about formalizing the things that were too often left to chance. You know, when when we've spoken about Alfonso Davies, he's a guy who was going to emerge regardless of where it was that he was. He didn't need a system in place. He didn't need, well, he needed a system in place. He needed somebody to find him, but he was going to find his way one way or another. And, And a lot of this academy stuff, a lot of this development stuff, it's about creating a framework that that helps usher people along on these journeys. And there's always going to be surprises. There's always going to be people who you think are going to make it and don't end up making it in the end. But this is about just creating more and more opportunities and more and more pathways for people to do it. And you know, on the women's side, as you said, for for too long, it's been it's been random and it's been a talent popping up and somebody else noticing it and giving them a chance. For the longest time, it was the U.S. college system and now it looks like it's the U.S. professional game and and whatever we can do to, to make sure that there's more opportunities uh, only bodes well for things. And, you know, Amanda is going to be with the uh, the senior national team as they play France tomorrow. She got called into the squad. And for people who want a better look at her, I think she's uh, expected to be with the U-20s later this month and, and then at the CONCACAF championships at the end of the, of May. So, you know, Canada Canada's uh, – going to be fun to watch i have no idea what they're going to look like at the world cup i got a lot of time for bev Friesen. i was on a call with her this morning um and they've got themselves uh i don't know who at the csa is in charge of coaching coach hiring but they've they've done pretty well for themselves in, in john herdman and bev Priestman. so uh we'll be keeping an eye on, on all things as, as we go forward maybe we should put an academy in newcastle for coaching um, I was uh, scrolling Instagram. This, this quick behind the curtains, folks. Uh, I My computer decided to update just before James and I were supposed to record. So for a half hour, I was waiting. You, you, we've all been there, right? The 12%. Your computer may restart several times. Yeah, no. Yeah, we know. Anyway, I was scrolling Instagram, and uh, I saw Adrian Leon uh, uh, showing off the new the new strips, the new canvas strips, and and I gotta say they look pretty good. So hopefully they will look pretty good down in Australia with uh, with some glitter, some confetti, if we can dream hard enough behind them. On that note, uh, we're gonna say goodbye for this week. We'll be back next week. Uh, gonna get some guests on here soon. We'll, we'll we'll dive in and get some experts on the women's side of the game uh, to give it the full tra- treatment it deserves. Um, we'll get other guests talking about other things too. And uh, James, I'll let you say goodbye and, and add any thoughts you have uh, have as well. Yeah, just one quick note before we go. Uh, the TFC2, for those of us in uh, in the GTA here, have their home opener on Friday at Europe Lions Stadium. 
against NYCFC2. I'm still waiting for confirmation that it will be open up to the public, but I know that behind the scenes, that's uh, something they're working on after playing behind closed doors all of last season. So uh, if you find yourself in the area, NYCFC is uh, an interesting team. They've had some good battles with TFC2 in the past. So uh, if you're not doing anything on Friday, head on up. It's supposed to be 22 Celsius on Friday, so can't think of anything worse to do, anything better to do there. Uh, that's got to be a good day out. All right. On that note, uh, that's it for Game Next Pod today. We'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.